Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. And I joke, it's her southern charm. She does it every time and it works every time. It's so simple, but, you know, as humans, we naturally gravitate towards something that's happy. Yeah, and then um, wine, it's all, you know, personal preference. Wine can be a very serious thing for people. Mm -hmm. And we make wines that appeal to those people. Yeah. And then a lot of people are here just to have fun. And then some people are here to party or all the above and a mixture of. So there are enough wineries and experiences for, for everyone. But I love how inclusive this is. This really, there's no velvet rope. You're in. When you come into Whitehall Lane, you're embraced. Yeah, and my favorite thing is to deal with uh, people that come in. I'd rather do that than uh, my email. I think that's so <laughs> cool, honestly, because, again, finite amount of time. A lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. And yeah. what do you say? I would rather go greet guests. Yeah, and then back to my dad setting up our structure and uh, my sister Katie, who does all the operation stuff, uh, I don't have to get bogged down with that stuff. Yeah. So, What a great ambassadorship role, almost. Yeah, and now that yeah. our, our kids are older, um, traveling looks more appealing and fun than ever because <laughs> I'm not uh, missing a lot of stuff, and I was home for most of it. But, yeah, I have this new like, freedom that's coming out. Do you so. have a favorite travel a war story from the consumer distributor you um, So back to my American patriotism thing yeah. is um, we're uh, with entrepreneurial stuff. We're not set in a system where you're like locked into your place or role in society. So mm -hmm. you can get someone that'll come up with an idea or come up with a business mm -hmm. and completely thrive. And yeah. back to America you can't judge someone by what they wear or what they drive or how they act. So my, you know, funny stories are meeting people some random place or at a wine tasting or at a restaurant or whatever, or walk in the tasting room, treat them with kindness and respect, um, show them around, pour a bunch of wine and they may or may not buy anything or they could turn into one of your best customers ever. And you never know. That's really the beauty of it. It is. And I have lots of those friends all over the country. And then they invite you to do really fun stuff, meet their friends, and it just grows and grows and grows. So I've tasted your wines for many, many years. Always admired them. And then we're having lunch at the premiere at the CIA and start mm -hmm. a conversation. That's how we met. And I didn't know who you were until you had in your business card. Yeah. We were just talking about completely philosophical subjects and life. And so, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. that. And I know when recently saw you at our party we had at the winery mm -hmm. that yeah. I knew that, and I mentioned this, I think, that we'd met more than once. Mm -hmm. So I always remember faces, don't always remember names. <laughs> but, yeah, it's good. And the best industry party, by the way, which also says something. Thank There's you. a lot of them in the Valley. There are. And then... Um, I keep going back to this getting older is um, I remember what it was like to be in my young 20s mm -hmm. and want to try all this wine and go to all these restaurants. And you can't because you can't always pay to do that stuff. Yes. So if you're in an environment where you get to try it all, mm -hmm. 
and then I'll come right out and say it, meet wine people that you hold up to a high standard, yep. and then they're really kind and friendly and gracious, mm-hmm. you like the wine more, and you like it forever. And then one of my first experiences with that was meeting like the Silver Oak people. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we got this like, truly iconic, great wine, yeah, and they couldn't be nicer. And I remember that when I first started my job, too, because they're a powerhouse still and have been. Yeah. And they're, I have nothing but praise to say for their family. They do a great job. And they continue to. And that's why they're one of the top wineries in Napa. So there's a concept of terroir that gets discussed at Infinitum and should be. And there's a concept of human terroir, which is what this podcast and yep. video cast is about. That's what I revel in. And what you describe is human terroir. It's not just what happens with respect to touching the vines and the vineyard work. It's also the social interaction. It's also the transference from people like the Duncan family. They're great. Family They're awesome. That you know, stayed with you all those years, and you're practically neighbors. We were neighbors. And in fact, um, my daughter, Julia, she was probably like 12, and she had some allergic reaction to some topical medicine. Hmm. And... Uh, I came home late and it's like, oh my God, do we call 911? Do we take her to the hospital? What do we do? And my wife called Carrie Duncan, David's wife. And it was like one in the morning and Carrie's like, bring her over right now. And brought her over there and she helped her. It's like, wow. Yeah. She didn't have to do that. And uh, yeah, it was great. So, and that's uh, another example of, we do have our Napa community. Exactly. And it's, it, yes, it is about wine, but there's so much more. Yeah. And one might argue there's a transference there, that with that human capital of that investment that people make into their craft and how they interact with each other. It's just there. And you will be able to experience it if you're here. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you treat your land with respect and your wine and everything along with it, I think the wine tastes better. I, I've always felt that way, but... I've recently started articulating more and more because I think it's an important message. There's a message in this bottle that tells a lot of stories. It's a police song. Yeah. Message in the bottle. It is. Yeah. Staying no, I agree. <laughs> and then this, and that's what people want now back to the authenticity word. They want a connection. Yeah. So it's not like just some concocted name of a wine and they're, and it's everywhere. And there are a lot of those and they do serve their purpose in the, in the wine market. But, um, Yeah, people want to travel, engage, learn more about the product, and then serve it to their friends and talk about it more. Napa has so many faces. It's a small valley geographically, but so intensely packed with all sorts of things. And you can find your own reflection. You can find a story. You can find your proverbial tribe, meaning... I agree. Just come here and figure it out. I promise you have so much fun. It's true. So we have a couple Cabernets. We do. So Cabernet is uh, the king in Napa. And uh, i probably get my numbers wrong, but I think of all the vineyards planted in Napa, I think it's like 84% Cabernet or some... I believe that bracket or percentage. Somewhere in there. And then as vineyards are replaced, replanted, whether it's another grape, a lot of it's just going to Cabernet. So Cabernet is the most important wine for Whitehall Lane and Napa. Um, we call this our Napa Cab. We make, we make several different Cabernets. 
this one we make the most of. So we make about 10,000 cases of this wine. Mm. Um, it's our most widely distributed wine. So you'll find it at high-end wine shops and wine stores and restaurants uh, all over the country. Um, we're able to make this wine because of our vineyards all over the Napa Valley floor, um, whether it's down from Oak Knoll, up through Rutherford, where we are now, and St. Helena. So our winemaker, Jason, uh, works really closely with our vineyard management company uh, to determine when the optimal time to pick our grapes are. So they're all picked by hand, brought here to the winery, hopefully with our different geographical locations of the vineyards. All the vineyards don't have to be picked at the same time mm -hmm. to overwhelm the crew. Um, everything's fermented separately uh, and then put down the barrel to age. Uh, after about like eight, ten months, uh, then it's blending time. So take all the different lots, uh, try to incorporate some different varieties, whether it's Petit Verdot that we grow or Merlot, and uh, come up with the final blend. So what we're trying to do with our Napa Cab, which we call it internally, um, is have the wine taste really good upon release, mm -hmm. yet will age. So optimal, no right or wrong answer, like seven years would be a really good time to drink it, but it's mm -hmm. good now. And then some people like decanting their wine, some people don't, back to personal preference. Um, but we're really proud of this Cabernet. I love the tenets, first of all. I am a huge believer in instant gratification mm -hmm. and the opportunity to lay it down. But you have to have my attention in the first place. If I'm thinking while I'm tasting the wine that it needs time, is that a really good incentive to lay it down when no. I'm not tasting anything I love? Um, I agree with that one, too. I, and I still struggle with that, and I struggled with that um, when I was first drinking wine. Yeah, It's like, does this person know something that I don't? Um, and this also leads into identifying with a, a good winery that owns their own vineyards, mm -hmm. that you can see that progression by trying the wines that have already aged by visiting the winery, which we do have library selections of this. But upon release, uh, I think it's really good. Um, has a really nice nose. I'm picking up a lot of caramel and coffee right now, which I like, and chocolate. It is. This wine is super seductive. The benefit of culling from all these EVAs mm -hmm. that you can create really your perfect confluence of everything that you love. It is, and that's where um, our winemaker Jason will call it his like toolbox, mm -hmm. his toolbox or his spice rack, and then yes. he can incorporate different. Uh, Cooper's Barrel Makers, which mm -hmm. we use several. Mm -hmm. um, so you're taking all these different elements of grapes from different vineyards, different sections within the vineyards, different ages of the vineyards, the different geographic locations, fermentation techniques. So there's just tons of varieties, options to it. Do you use uh, American oak at all? Or? We use um, American oak and French oak. Um, we're using a lot more French oak than we did in the past, and our upper-level wines are 100% French oak. Of course, yeah. And then depending on the strength of the vineyard, the strength of the grapes, um, we'll use more French oak uh, or more new oak. So there's not a set formula sure. that we use. So it's different than uh, brewing beer or distilling liquor. Um, it's straight off the grapes of Mother Nature, and they vary from vintage to vintage. Uh, luckily, with Napa, 
Uh, we've had some strange weather in the last couple of vintages, but if you look at Napa compared to Europe, uh, our weather is really stable and we have our bright California sun. Indeed, and back to the cooperage aspect for a moment, um, it's really trial and error. Mm -hmm. It's a continuum. Sure. And the fact that you've been in business for a quarter of a century really helps because you got to know your vineyards and match them perfectly sure. to the vessel. Right. Uh, part of the fun with getting a new winemaker Jason is um, our old winemaker Dean, who did a great job for us. Um, you know, you get your set vendors that you're used to dealing with, the people that are selling the corks or the barrels. So then, when Jason comes in, um, wants to, and this was kind of the benefit of not having like an assistant winemaker. Mm -hmm. We have a new guy come in who has uh, training from other winemakers, other wineries, and is you know, used lots of different Coopers and all the different variations. Well, just because um, we bought a certain oak from a certain supplier for years and years and years, when Jason came on, he wasn't going to do it. So there were some pretty funny conversations like, okay, you bought 150 last year, so how about 200 this year? He'd be like, well, how about none? <laughs> Let's get some samples and see how it works, and maybe we'll buy it, maybe we won't. So being a salesman, I got some good amusement out of that. I bet. And Jason, um, how's Jason now? 38, I think? Mm. So 35, which is young to have such a big job, mm -hmm. and he instantly did a great job. So that says a lot. And yeah. I know that when you select people to work for you, you're very deliberate and very careful about that. So again, this tells its own story that you chose him to be a winemaker. Right. Uh, and luckily, um, he's part of that generation, which we're all trying to appeal to. Uh-huh. Um, and he's worked at different aspects in the wine industry, worked at, uh, you know, different wineries and both in our proximity and then other countries, uh, worked for a distributor. Mm -hmm. And so he's sold wine. So from the sales guy perspective, to have a winemaker that's actually engaged and wants to spend time to help selling the wine is awesome. You are indeed, it keeps coming up in my mind, a unicorn. You have the resources. Right. And yet you have this intense business savvy, marketing savvy, practicality that makes it for a perfect combo because you really believe in the integrity of the product and you can support that. You can support your vision right. with the resources. Thank you. And yet, you're also very cognizant of the keeping your hand on the pulse of the marketplace. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Alon. It's fun. As I get ready to start my travels again. Yes, I'm trying to inspire you a bit, even though you're already quite attuned to what that really looks like and feels like. I mean, it doesn't, when you describe it, it doesn't feel like a chore. I know it takes you away from your family and your routine and such, that I can tell it also energizes you. It does. And then, um, I laugh too because I'm a creature of habit. It's like pack the same suitcase with the same stuff in the same spot every time and have my routine and you know, know the people that work in the restaurants in the airport and they sell our wine too. So it's, it's a, a cycle. And I should have kept statistics of how much wine I would sell while sitting on an airplane to people around me. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I would want to know those statistics because on the plane, a lot of us are like, oh my God, just leave me alone. <laughs> How do you manage to engage these people? I want to know so much more about it. So I took, um, 
I don't put my business card on my carry-on or my briefcase or backpack because sometimes I can't talk because I'm too tired. And if someone sees like wine, mm -hmm. then they want to talk. But I travel with samples <laughs> a lot and I have one of those rolling bags that says Whitehall Lane on it. And so I get asked all the time. So I just hand out business cards and say, please come visit. And people do. That is so smart. Uh, so this is our Leonardini Estate Cabernet. I can't uh, this used to be called our Reserve Cabernet, which we had great accolades mm -hmm. with. Before I talk about the wine, I'll talk about the transition from Reserve to our Leonardini Estate. So Reserve um, isn't, uh, it's just a loose marketing word. Mm -hmm. It used to mean your best wine. Uh, it's not anymore. It's regulated in certain countries if you use uh, the root word Reserve. It's not in America. Mm -hmm. um, so... A lot of the questions we get asked is, are you a family winery? Which we are. So we have our Leonardini family name on it. And then are you an estate winery? Do you grow your own grapes? Which we do. Mm -hmm. So a lot, my two most frequently asked questions are answered by the label. Um, so this 2015 Leonardini estate, it's 100% Cabernet, mm -hmm. which is the first time we made 100% Cabernet Leonardini estate or reserve, which I love saying it's 100% Cap. Um, and it's from our Leonardini Vineyard, which is just north of here. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a vineyard on the Silverado Trail at Deer Park. It's called Fawn Park. Okay. So it's grapes comprised from both those vineyards. Um, it 100% French oak. It's in French oak for about two and a half years. Um, 2015 is the vintage before Jason came. But um, it wasn't blended before he came or fined or filtered. So even though he didn't pick these grapes and ferment them, most of the winemaking is straight from him. So it is an expression of what our wines will be in the future. Um, and it has great age worthiness and it's really soft and approachable right now, even though we just opened it. Yes. And there's a lot of blue, black fruit aromas, but it's the florals that are really intriguing me the, the violet i pick a lot of that up i had blueberries for breakfast so mm -hmm. i smell that mm -hmm. um and i kind of think it just epitomizes a uh, beautiful napa cabernet mm -hmm. uh and it's valley floor fruit so it's not overly ripe or tannic uh it's enjoyable now as i keep mentioning which we really struggle strive for it has wonderful color and then part of the fun of drinking wine at the winery is this wine has never left here. So wow. grapes get picked. They're put in the uh, half-ton bin, brought to the wine winery, fermented, uh, barrel-aged, bottled, and this wine's never left. So it's never sat on a truck. It's never been exposed to heat. And uh, it's really as true, fine expression of it. Now, if I were to sum up this wine in one word, it would be energy. 2015 was a warmer vintage. Yep. And it had the intensity to it that I think is quite uncommon. And you've captured that. Thank you. Um, yes, this is a conversation right there. Yeah. Um, in glass. And it's still enjoyable on its own. And then you get in the whole plethora of food pairings. Yes. Oh, that's a whole other. Yeah. So, yeah, we're really proud of our whole array of wines. And once again, this is just a small example of them. 
but uh, yeah, no, and, and your wines have so much personality. They're you. so different from one another, and that's why it's such a great playground because someone could taste through it and say, "I like this one." They may not be able to articulate why, and who cares? Really, at right. the end of the day, it's what appeals to them. But yet, you find bits of yourself, your reflections in that glass, and you can have completely different experiences with each one of them. Yeah. Um, are you a foodie? Of course. Of course. Of course. With the travels and everything, I mean, it would be a shocker if you weren't. So what are some of your favorite food groups or proteins um, or dishes? Or So I always uh, put this into travel stuff. So um, love Italian food. Of course. Because I'm Italian. Um, we have some great Italian restaurants here. Bistro Don Giovanni is my favorite. Mm. Been going there forever. Yeah. Um, so when I go to like the East Coast mm -hmm. and I got a trip coming up to um, New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania coming up um, with the first early wave of Italian immigrants settling in that region, I think there's the most good Italian food there. Mm -hmm. So I love Italian food. Um, then I think of uh, eating oysters like in British Columbia. Oh, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that's Sauvignon Blanc, actually. Which is my favorite. Just totally work. Um, and then uh, we have great oysters from America, too. Mm -hmm. um, I know in the Northeast, there are great ones up in Washington, Oregon area. And we mm -hmm. have some good ones from right on our coast here. I like the Prince Edward Island ones mm. a lot. Um, yeah. It's in season right now, too. Our Dungeness crab. Oh, my. I love. Um, and then I uh, like all the southern food. All the jambalaya, gumbo. Um, that blend with sarai in it just totally pops to mind. Yeah, so I can go on and on. I like all kinds of food. That's awesome. Do you cook? Uh, I do. Um, I cook pretty basic food. I like uh, grilling meat. Yeah, whether... you're a hunter, so I'm assuming barbecue is part of your routine. Yeah, so um, we, uh, yeah, so local deer we eat. Mm -hmm. um, it's all organic, free-range, wild, which is great. Yeah. Um, eat a lot of beef. Yeah. Chicken, pork, uh, different game birds we eat. Um, so my basic meal is a salad with our fresh produce that we have everywhere in California. Healthy. Really healthy. <laughs> Grilled meat. Um, we eat a lot of rice. I have a... The uh, rice robot, one of those electronic rice cookers, which we use all the time. Um, <laughs> grill vegetables. Love it. And then with the kids and everyone works and running around, um, a lot of the food's durable. So grilled meat, salad, vegetable, pasta or rice. And then whether we're all sitting down together, which we try to do, or people are com coming or going, um, that food's always ready. And then they expose the kids to wine. Of course. When they're young. So it's kind of funny to hear them talk about it. And then I have to bring up all our restaurants again. Um, our kids are food snobs because that's <laughs> kind of their, their baseline yeah. of what they eat. And then when they leave Napa, and there's great food everywhere, but the, the comments we get all the time from the kids is um, the food's not as good and it costs a lot less because yeah. Napa has great food and uh, we have high-priced restaurants. Indeed. So, um, so speaking kind of about the future of the region, um, 
What is your wish for Napa? Um, luckily, um, we have our ag preserve. Yeah. So it'll preserve the appearance mm -hmm. and not let the land be broken up. Like this parcel here is about 25 acres, so we can't peel off five acres and build big giant houses and sell them. Um, so luckily the ag preserve is in place. Yeah. People still build wineries. I can't say that's wrong because all the laws that are in place and the restrictions that allowed people to build them over the last decades are still there. So if it fits the criteria and it's, uh, allowable, they should still be able to build them. Yeah. So for me to say we have a winery, so I don't want anyone else to build one would be wrong. Yeah. Not my backyard stuff. Yeah. Um, Traffic's a factor. Mm -hmm. uh, water's a factor. Uh, so all that stuff comes in play. What do you think Napa would look like 25 years from now? Um, I'm hoping our bike path is complete mm -hmm. um, to get some sort of better public transportation system would be great. Mm -hmm. um, our outlying area will be more densely populated. So you know, make sure people are using uh, more sustainable, everyone using more sustainable farming practices, mm -hmm. try to get some sort of uh, commuter system that's better in place, uh, maybe get a better way to get people into the Napa Valley from our outlying areas mm -hmm. without having to get in the car. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and just kind of preserve our natural beauty, which I think everything's in place to do that. Absolutely. Um, what about the future of Whitehall Lane as a brand? More of what you're doing today. Are there any plans to expand the portfolio or perhaps add something to it that's um, specific? I think um, it sounds a little boring right now, but we are in a state winery and have vineyards in Sonoma too, so mm -hmm. we can kind of incorporate all the different varietals to fit people's palates. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not looking to come up with some flashy new wine or brand to put out there, build it really quick and sell it. And that's not our deal. So as uh, boring as it sounds, um, stay the course. Yeah. And we have all our tools in place and our Napa Valley is young compared to uh, other wine regions in the world. And I think of uh, people that came before our family, like the Mondavi family, mm -hmm. I was, uh, really fortunate to meet Robert Mondavi a bunch of times. Um, I remember the first time I saw him. Have you seen the picture, Alana, of him with the cork tuxedo coat on? Unfortunately, I haven't, but I know of it. Yeah, so I guess uh, Rombauer owns the actual mm -hmm. uh, coat, and Rombauer's another great family. So the first time I saw the picture of Robert Mondavi, he's standing there like this, and I'm of Italian descent. And so I expected him to be 10 feet tall. Yeah. And he wasn't. And, um, but he has huge personality and kind. And he was the first one that went out on the road and promoted Napa Valley wine. So I can say sitting here with all of this, I wouldn't be here without him doing that. And he was the first person to do it. So he's iconic and he was a great person. Um, his family has continued that. And I think of Tim Mondavi, and Michael's a great guy too, and they each have their own projects. But Tim up on Pritchard Hill, Continuum. Mm -hmm. And he's a gentleman, can't say enough good stuff about him. 
His goal, and I can't word it as eloquently as him, was to create an estate winery that'll continue for centuries. That was his goal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. And I would think Napa, as it progresses, those iconic properties and vineyards will continue to thrive and outshine maybe some of the personalities that put them in place and it will be more land vineyard driven than people. Which I think is really the best thing Agreed. about Napa. And I think if Bob were to look down on you, he would be quite proud because you steadfastly advanced his passion, his cause. He expressed through winemaking, but fundamentally it's a people business, it's hospitality. It is, and then he had the foresight to do it and the work ethic, and uh, similar to my dad, could make his point, hammer it through. Steady hand, clear vision, work ethic, all the values that make yep. what I consider a successful business and a successful human being, I think, at the end of the day. As we sit here, there has to be this connection. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, Agreed. So thank you for um, sharing your beautiful story and the wines. I am humbled and forever grateful for people like you because it elevates the life that we are offered. We're here, I think, to make a difference, hopefully to find ourselves and all the stuff that we've discussed are great facilitators for that journey. Thank you. And uh, for everyone listening, appreciate your time and uh, please come visit. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Palette Exposure featuring Alona Thompson. We'll see you again next week.